0: I think most of you know me, I'm Peter Reinke, the head of school across the parking lot there at St. James Episcopal School and often I'm also a usher here at at St. James and uh, among other things. And I was so honored today when Mother Kate asked if I would uh, deliver today's uh, sermon uh, as she uh, is traveling. Those of you who do know me know that uh, I do love to sing. I don't claim to be able to carry a tune, but I hope I make up for it in confidence. Uh, My father's uh, family were Moravians, and those of you who know the Moravian tradition know that uh, their belief is uh, through sound and through joyful sound is how you come into contact with the Holy Spirit. So this is a song I think many of you know. If you know it, please uh, do sing along with me. There's a sweet, sweet, spirit in this place and i know that it's the spirit of the lord there are sweet expressions on each face and i know i feel the presence of the lord sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt, we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place as I said, confidence makes up for not carrying the tomb, or so I tell myself. Oh, oh, stop, stop, please, stop. But that wonderful hymn is one of my favorites, and I think it's so appropriate uh, as we gather here today, roughly uh, 2,023 years after the disciples gathered there in the upper room. Can you imagine that scene? as they are all trundling back from the Mount of Olives and over a hundred other folks have also uh, come in there with them, gathering along the way, men, women, and children, many of whom have been close personally to Jesus and many, many more who had witnessed his miracles uh, and watched this final, ultimate sacrifice. And there they all are, behind a locked door, keeping the lights down and the curtains drawn up in the upper room. This is, we know, likely the same space where Jesus delivered the first communion of our Christian faith just several days before. Now, it's just a Sabbath day's walk back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, And to clarify, what that means is it was short enough of a walk that it wouldn't violate the Ten Commandments. I wonder what that walk was like. Was it awkward for St. Peter and the other apostles that it had been Mary Magdalene who Christ had appeared to to lay out what would happen now? Were they looking at her a little side-eyed as they were walking back to Jerusalem? After all, Mary Magdalene, is quite a controversial figure. Jesus had exorcised uh, Mary of demons not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, but seven times Christ had to be an exorcist to take demons out of Mary. So why would he choose to appear to her and not, for, say for example, St. James, who we know, if we know our scripture, was often reminding Jesus, that he was probably the person that should be Christ's chief of staff once they got to heaven. Was there misogyny on that day as they returned to Jerusalem, or as I hope and like to think, was that mitigated greatly by the joy and the wonder and the relief of knowing, yes, this prophecy is being fulfilled? I think Mary must have been euphoric. No stones would have hurt her feet as she sailed along in the joy of knowing that our faith was being born and created before her very eyes. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, when the disciples had last been in the upper room, perhaps imbibed with the courage of wine and the presence of the Savior, they may have rumbled about starting a glorious revolution if the Romans were to come and take Jesus from them. We know that some of them did think about that idea of changing this broken world through force and righteous anger. But we also understand that the cornerstone of our faith is this idea of embracing that holy example by Jesus, that protecting our bodies and engaging in trying to preserve and save this world, our distraction from leaning into what is holy, let me clarify with that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care about our world, shouldn't do what we can to support and help those in needs. But what it does mean is that we can't be aligned with the Holy Spirit if we're just thinking about what does my personal situation look like? Am I comfortable? Am I safe? Am I secure? That those things don't go along with the idea of being a Christian. As you know, our faith believes we are not... Of this world, we're just in this world, waiting to get to the world, a waiting room, if you will. I wonder also, were the disciples ashamed as they gathered? After all, they had scattered and hid at Jesus' arrest and execution. Peter, always first among them, and, and James, they mention our patron saint. I wonder if they were particularly ashamed, and more than that, racked with guilt and profound grief at having not stood with Jesus, not being willing to die with him. I imagine their shame and then that presence of the Holy Spirit that we are introduced to in this part of Scripture today, infused in Peter and in James a confidence and a clarity of their mission that, as we know, will result in James being the first disciple, martyred for Christ, and in Saint Peter, after establishing our church, being arrested and executed, and he insisted on being executed in a more painful way than the Christ, than the Christ and was executed hanging upside down. But all of that, of course, is for another Sunday. Today, we want to talk about that joy of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think the teachings in today's gospel are among the most important of our faith. We cannot be Christians without the Holy Spirit. And Christ here introduces the Holy Spirit to us, and it makes the Trinity complete. In my own experience of the Holy Spirit, it is felt the way that Jesus earlier before his crucifixion had described it to Nicodemus, that Pharisee who had come to Jesus in the night, understanding that something, uh, understanding his complicity in what was about to happen to Jesus. And Jesus had said to Nicodemus, when the Holy Spirit is with us, it will be like a wind or a breeze, but a wind or a breeze that is just entirely soaked in the idea of God's grace. And my own experience with the Holy Spirit has been like that. I remember when I was in college and my parents were going through a divorce and I was in a place of real grief and praying and praying and praying one afternoon when I was a sophomore in college and feeling this, I can't even describe it in words, but this warm breeze enveloping me. It almost felt like kind of the warm breeze of like opening an oven and you've got cookies in there or something. But that was sort of enveloping and carrying me. More recently, I was uh, very proud to be senior warden of Church of the Advent Episcopal down the street here. Uh, And we had a service for one of our longtime members. And this is just a couple of years ago. But as I was sitting there in the service, it was almost like a butterfly's wings flew by. It was no more than a nanosecond, but I was filled with such euphoric joy, I knew the Holy Spirit was there. And I'm sure all of you have had moments like that. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as an advocate for us, a paraclete, and that is the way that we're able to communicate with Jesus and with God. The ancient Hebrew describes the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, as somebody who's always by our side, our counselor, our advocate, helping us to make good choices in this beautiful but complicated world. I see two of my students are with us today. I see Grayson is back there and his sister Kennedy. And they know that when we have a chapel here during the week, if we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we might, uh, or or Jesus, we might uh, bring in some analogies to superheroes, because for children uh, that's how we are able to help them make sense of Christianity, the idea of origin stories. So I often describe the Holy Spirit a little bit as Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio, or for those of you who remember those old Bugs Bunny cartoons, the, the little fellow sitting on your shoulder playing a harp and helping you to make good decisions. St. Gregory indicates that the Holy Spirit is essential and integral to our faith and journey as Christians. He suggests that in the Old Testament, you have God. That leads to the New Testament, where you have the life of Jesus. And then it leads to the establishment of our faith, with the heartbreaking crucifixion of Christ, and the arrival, then, of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you'll reflect with me on how do we make sure here, 2,023 years later, the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. My father, uh, who was a venerable soldier of many a vestry war council uh, in his day, liked to say that before any difficult discussion or situation where you may feel you're going to be unheard or you're out of alignment with other folks, stop for a moment, close your eyes, and invite that Holy Spirit to join you. And of course the opposite is also true. Welcoming and praising and listening to the Holy Spirit when you're feeling joyful gratitude, such as I'm feeling for all of you right now in this wonderful church community. One of the ways that we encourage our students at the school to welcome the Holy Spirit is through service to others. And of course, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church actually suggests in catechism that that is one of the eight ways to be aligned with the Holy Spirit. We're very fortunate in having a partner in that work in St. James Episcopal Parish. Father Fuse is our associate uh, chaplain, in addition to being the associate rector here at the parish, and leads our students through their work in making sandwiches and coordinating clothing drives. And all of our kids from the age of three of Kennedy's age all the way up through sixth grade spend time throughout the year doing something meaningful to support the unhomed and the hungry. And we know our clients in the unhomed community look forward to those times of the year that they're going to have a little note from a preschooler in the little lunchbox that they get. That's a way we're able to talk about the Holy Spirit with children. And that ministry of Father John and Margaret Ecker and Kathy Helm and Sarah Jane Feast and others uh, has been a wonderful inspiration in that work. And I want to, of course, Diane, I see Diane Gilmore here and the Boy Scouts are an enormous part of that too, of building that sense of service as a way to be in alignment with the Holy Spirit. As I close this morning, I hope you'll join me in another hymn. This one's a little shorter, I promise. But I do think you all know it. And as I mentioned, one of the ways that we can really be present and centered with the Holy Spirit is through song. This is one that I was taught when I was sent away to Episcopal uh, boarding camp in the summer many, many years ago. Back then it was called Camp Bement in Western Massachusetts. Now it is called Camp Barbara Harris after the first Uh, African-American woman to be a bishop in the Episcopal Church. And I think you all know this song, so please do sing along with me, and let's think of it as a way to be with the Holy Spirit. I am a CH. I am a C-H-R, I am a -A C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T, and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y, amen.